As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Good afternoon and welcome to another InvestorIdeas.com podcast, looking at cannabis news, stocks to watch, as well as insights from thought leaders and experts. Today's podcast features an interview with Patrick Ray, CEO and co-founder of Cannabis Boulder Incorporated, where we discuss some of the factors when deciding to invest in a cannabis company and what are some of the largest pitfalls investors should be wary of, as well as what 2019 looks for cannabis and the CBD market. Hey, so today I'm here with Patrick Ray from Canopy Boulder. Uh, Patrick, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and the company for people who aren't familiar with yourself? Sure thing, and thanks for having um, having me on. Um, like you said, uh, my name is Patrick Ray. I am the uh, CEO and co-founder of Canopy Boulder, and we're a business accelerator and venture fund focused on the cannabis industry. Um, we invest in ancillary products and services companies, so all the infrastructure, the data, software, tech, media, but we also invest in CBD and hemp businesses, whether you're a brand or a farm or a processor, somebody in the CBD and hemp business. Uh, we, um, since we started work in the industry back in 2013, we've raised $13 million dollars and made 113 investments into 90 companies. Uh, we have a great partnership with the Arcview Group, and we have a big uh, ecosystem of portfolio companies, mentors, investors, industry companies uh, to plug into, and uh, we're really blessed by the support that we've received from the investor and entrepreneurial community and cannabis industry for what we're trying to do, which is help the industry grow faster more profitably and sustainably in the future. Perfect. So for people who are looking to invest in the cannabis space, obviously, as you guys have done, what are some of the biggest factors uh, you look for in a company when you're looking to invest in some of those ancillary companies? Yeah, so uh, it's always for us, uh, the three top three criteria are founder, 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 right? So the reason that we focus so much on the founder and the founding team is that this is a fast evolving emerging market. And the rules that we're in place, uh, the rules of the game yesterday change tomorrow. So you need a team that is um, flexible, um, willing to listen and learn and be responsive to the market. 
Um, but when we're analyzing companies beyond that, and that's where we put the most weight is in the founder and founding team. Timing is critical, right? You don't want to be too early. You don't want to be too late. Um, it can really impact your ability to develop traction, which is our third criteria uh, for assessing companies that, you know, they show there is a product market fit and there's interest in the business uh, from the market. The fourth criteria is a, a large target addressable market, right? We don't want to invest in businesses or work with entrepreneurs who are satisfying the needs of just one customer. Um, we want to have that risk mitigated with a large audience. The fifth criteria, interestingly, is concept, right? What is the business? Um, frankly, sometimes we don't even care because we're more interested in the problem and solving the problem than necessarily the solution because we know the solution will change as the problem as well. And then the, fifth, the sixth criteria is what I call the beer test. You know, are these people that we want to work with for a long time um, and want to spend time having, drinking beers or whatever, um, socializing with because there's a lot of highs and lows and you got to be partnering up with someone who you gel with and that believes in you and you believe in them. I like that you include that, that beer test factor. That's something uh, I think one of my very first bosses said the exact same thing to me. He goes, you know, I always want to promote the person and work with the person who I can sit and have a beer with or sit and actually talk to in a non-business setting and to keep that person around, right? Right. Um, I'd like to go back to the founder issue or the focus on the founders right away. Is the criteria for a good founding team changing so much from the beginning years? Is there sort of a different type of uh, group that's coming in now that maybe wasn't there a few years ago just because the industry has changed so much over the last two to three years? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, we were dealing primarily with entrepreneurial types and pioneers, right? People that were happy to be on the razor's edge or the bleeding edge. They didn't mind. We're seeing more and more folks come into the industry now who have uh, very impressive professional backgrounds. They're, you know, if, if the, the entrepreneurs or the pioneers are starting to see the settlers come in and they, they may have a different risk profile, right? Um, they may want larger salaries and they come from a big alcohol or beverage or food company. Um, so they might rather have a larger salary and take less risk, but they can actually contribute to the scaling of the industry, uh, which is, you know, something that's happening faster than I think anyone ever expected. Yeah, it's definitely made a massive push in uh, in change even in technology and what's been available. The extraction methods have changed so much over the last years as well as the growing methods mm -hmm. have changed pretty fundamentally. Mm -hmm. So, um, What are some of the things that I guess those are all things to look for that's a positive in companies in this market? What are some of the things you think investors should strongly avoid? What are some of the red flags uh, for investing in one of these cannabis yeah, companies? Yeah, no, it's a great it, the red flags, you know, it's similar to all investments, but some are slightly different because of cannabis, right? So, you know, one of the top one is sort of undedicated founders, right? Uh, founders who have a bunch of things going on, right? They got, they show, they're very dynamic and they have like five or six businesses they're working on. And I don't blame them. I mean, it mitigates risk of the entrepreneurial journey to have a couple things going on, but it's hard to do, uh, five different businesses and startups well. So 
you know, really getting an understanding of how that entrepreneur is spending their time and then also uh, what commitments they've already made to other businesses or investors, right? Because I don't know about you, but if I'm, uh, if we're giving money to a team, we want them to be focused on that, right? We don't want there to be a, uh, their, their attention to be divided in different things. Another thing that we look out for in the cannabis industry are what I call impossible concepts. You know, these are ideas that sound great on paper and theoretically, but they actually will never work in the cannabis industry right now because of laws or some sort of dynamic that makes it, you know, just impossible to find traction, impossible to find customers, though theoretically it makes sense. Uh, poor timing is the third thing that we're, you know, advising investors to be very aware of. And that's very difficult, honestly, to assess if you're not engaged in the industry, you know, 24 seven, 365. So timing is super key. Like you might come in way too early, right? And not be able to find traction and run out of cash, run out of energy if, uh, if you're an entrepreneur. And that's painful for an investor, right? Because it may be a great team rate, right concept, and there might be a large addressable market, but it's just too early. Or it might be too late, right? They think they can do it better, but when they start doing something unique and better, then they're more established competitors. If that part of the business that is unique and better is not defensible, and it's something an existing competitor can pivot towards and do as well, you know, you kind of have a yeah. lot. Um, and the last thing, which is really important, I think, for investors is investing in a company that has um, it has no potential for a return to the investors at exit. Not now, not to be confused with not having exit potential, right? There could be a buyer out there, but there may not be um, buyers out there or acquirers that will buy at a level uh, or a value that will return capital to the investors at the level that they expect, right? They may get, you know, some investor may be investing early and taking a lot of risk, but ultimately the business will only sell and return them two times their capital. So the risk and the reward are out of sync. I see. Uh, so I guess, I know your company focuses on the sustainability of the of the industry. How? What are some of the factors as well that you think are around that, around cannabis sustainability, both at sort of the the agricultural level as well as the business level? Yeah, and you know, I I think of sustainability at a very high level at first. I think how the industry will sustain uh, income for individuals, investment, returns, jobs, careers. Um, how it might sustain wellness and safety, um, sustain greater freedoms and justice for people and medical innovation, right, for many, many decades to come. Because remember, this is a, a whole business opportunity that's been suppressed, a whole medical opportunity that's been suppressed for so long. So there's a lot of opportunity. I think that will sustain for some time. But, you know, speaking to your specific question about, agricultural and business sustainability as it relates to cannabis you know um, this is a this is a high value crop right um, this isn't uh, corn or wheat right and you know we can create the economic the economy to support investment in agricultural innovation in the cannabis industry right because of that high value crop status 
So think of it, we have a massive opportunity here to take this new, uh, take develop new agricultural technology and develop it in cannabis because folks are willing to pay for it and then take it into agricultural, conventional agricultural. So it's, it's really a timing question, right? We're, we're, there's an opportunity here. And, and I think on the bigger picture, you know, where 11% of the world's population suffers from chronic undernourishment and 45% of child deaths uh, come from poor nutrition, we have an opportunity to make a big impact through investment in ag tech and cannabis to impact food, a very mature industry with thin margins where innovation, you know, must quickly go to scale to warrant the investment. So it's like kind of thread and needle. Um, so we have better margins in cannabis, we can do that. Um, and it's, it's an incredible, incredible opportunity that um, we're invested heavily in. So your company is focused on that market as far as a company that's maybe in the cannabis ancillary space, but also could have high value potential for moving into different agricultural uh, practices. Absolutely. In fact, most all of our investments are in the businesses that if the cannabis industry went away, the the business would not go away, right? There would be an opportunity for them to port or transfer their IP and their work into different another sector, right? So think cannabis, you have cultivators, that's agriculture. You have processors, right? Uh, and there's processing in any industry, uh, consumer product industry, of brands, right? There are brands in cannabis, there's brands in beverages and foods and candy and supplements. And then you have dispensaries, and those are retail businesses. So again, you can incubate innovation in the cannabis industry and port it over into other sectors to mitigate risk and to increase the opportunity or target addressable market for your business. Um, as far as some of those uh, ancillary businesses as well, how much are you seeing energy and waste treatment come into play in the cannabis space? Just because I know that those are two big areas that are yeah. are eventually going to be an issue uh, for cannabis producers once they get to to a, a full scale. You can't be avoided. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, energy is driven by economics, and waste is primarily driven by regulation. So, yeah, energy, energy. Big opportunity. Uh, indoor cultivation is used a lot of energy, so there's a lot of interest, especially as wholesale prices of flower and trim uh, go down. For there's a lot of interest from cultivators who want to find energy solutions, whether that's uh, better lower voltage lights. Um, you know, primarily that's where the, a lot of the energy goes into. But and there's a lot of people chasing that. Um, you know, there's a lot of lighting companies that are trying to mitigate that energy use. Now, waste, like, it's more driven by regulations, right? So the states, a lot of states require uh, cannabis cultivators to over-process, um, like, bleach and then bag, it's weird, the, the cannabis waste. Um, yeah. So it's a big problem and uh, bigger than most people realize. And uh, actually, few companies are currently working to manage the cannabis waste, um, you know, and that's soil, the cocoa preparations as they're used, root balls, and then the woody stalks and branches. So, so um, yeah, it, they're they're both 
an opportunity. One is crowded, and the other one's not so crowded. Hmm. I would, yeah, I guess so. I guess waste is is something that'll will come once it's actually gotten to the big enough scale that it needs to be managed faster, right? It's still energy is a, a concern right out of the gate, whereas waste is a later right. problem. And, and, and yeah. And energy is kind of sexy. You have these high-tech lights, and there's a lot of innovation in tech, and people get excited about it. Taking out the trash, not so sexy. But everybody needs somebody to take out the trash. Um, I'd like to go back to just something from the very sort of beginning where you mentioned that you guys are also looking into hemp and CBD pretty actively. Do you Mm -hmm. think that that segment – specifically hemp and the CBD market is going to end up sort of overtaking the actual cannabis space just because of the, the fact that it doesn't have to really face the stigma of cannabis. It doesn't have to face that, oh, this gets you high and this changes your perception and this is more of a, a recreational drug. It's seen as more of a, a different product. You know, that's a great question, and I don't know the answer, Um, but let's talk about it, right? So CBD and hemp sort of took a backseat to cannabis for the last, you know, for many, many years, right? Yeah. And um, especially the last 10 years, uh, we started to see states legalize cannabis, and hemp was sort of just like an afterthought. Like, no one's really worrying about hemp and CB. It's non-psychoactive. It's, you know, people aren't really, you know, super interested in it. It's, you know, but, but now it's almost like the gateway to cannabis, right, is CBD yeah. and hemp. Um, it's still cannabis sativa. It's the same plant. It just has low THC content. So, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it doesn't have the stigma, but it is – you know, it's a, it's a sister, right? I mean, this is yeah. the same plant. And um, it's really fascinating. I mean, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see the embrace of CBD and hemp uh, in the food drug mass retail environment and all the investment that is coming in. I mean, it's happening. 2019 will be the year where CBD and hemp sort of just appears everywhere. Like yeah. there are large retail chains that you and I know the names of that are putting in orders and products are starting to show up on shelves. Um, and it, it reminds me of the growth of the dietary supplement industry in the mid to late 1990s after uh, there was a law passed in 94 that gave guidance to companies on how to market and sell dietary supplements. Because prior to that, it was very similar. There were no regulations. There was no oversight. People were making crazy claims about how supplements would cure your cancer and grow hair on your head and do all sorts of other weird things. Um, But that changed with the regulations. And when that changed, it it became uh, clear how to businesses uh, how to market and what they could say about dietary supplements. Then, you know, it was like distribution growth. You know, it was like, how can we get dietary supplements on almost every retail shelf? And it's funny to see now, go to coffee shops in Boulder and I go to bookstores in Boulder. I go to the gym in Boulder and everybody has a little case selling CBD pills. Um, so it's very familiar. I think we'll see a lot of growth in the space, whether it will overtake cannabis in terms of sales or um, sort of cultural impact is remains to be seen, but both categories, both product segments, there is a lot of scientific um, research to be done 
to prove the observational and anecdotal um, claims uh, and put those into irrefutable science. Of the supplements and Whole Foods and all those things where it's like, oh no, this is the new branding of this mm -hmm. now. <clears throat> yeah, well, I mean, the other thing that, you know, we need to remember is that, um, is that uh, as CBD, you know, cannabis has a psychoactive effect, like, a, you know, coffee or sugar or an alcohol, like you, it crosses the blood brain barrier, you feel the effects that has a very tight feedback loop for consumers, right? They consume it, they feel something, yeah. whether it's positive or negative, like that informs their next consumption decision. Now, with CBD and hemp, you don't have that. Well, everyone claims there's no psychoactive effect. I think that needs to be studied a bit more. Yeah, I've heard um, I've heard different reports on that. A few of the different researchers have said that it's it's more of a milder effect, and it really depends on the dosage and the mm -hmm. amount, and that it's also it's a different effect. So it's comparing apples and oranges. You can't really say that it has no effect if you feel better. That's an effect. Even even that of itself, right. you know, even if you take Tylenol to cure your headache, that's an effect. You can't say that it has no effect on you. Right. That's it's changing something. That's right. So that's and, and remember, there is that we the marketing is so far ahead of the science in a lot of sectors, and in, in, including uh, cannabis, CBD, and hemp. It just it, it just needs more time. We need more people working on it. Yeah. Um, to clarify, you know, why is it that when I take this CBD pill that I feel something and I take this other one and I don't feel something, right? Yeah. There needs to be more, re more research is uh, surely warranted. Uh, so I guess just in final thoughts and closing up, what are some of the biggest things that your company is actively excited about for, let's say this year for investing in cannabis? What do you think are going to be the biggest uh, movements in the space or some of the things you're, you're most excited to see? You know, certainly CBD and hemp with the passing of the farm bill is going to be put up into uh, the sort of social fabric. Like it's going to become very common. I, again, I think of it as a bit of a gateway for people to take who are concerned about can't like full THC cannabis, to take the first step into consumption. I do think that THC is not evil. I don't believe it's evil. I don't. I think it would be a very positive thing if used in the right ways. And it, it's a, in so many dimensions, right? I mean, we're talking about health and wellness opportunities, you know, around THC. Uh, we're talking about maybe fewer drunk drivers on the road, right? There's just so many impacts. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, at so the I'm end of the day, it's a non-toxic plant. <laughs> it is ridiculous that we right. always have to use those terminologies yeah. of THC is not dangerous and this isn't, you know, the the science isn't in. But at the end of the day, it's it's a non-lethal plant that grows outside. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> we need to stop, uh, you know, casting it as some evil substance. So, I, you know, I, I look at the CBD and hemp and the rise of that as a, as a way to uh, bring people closer to cannabis. And I think that's a positive thing. You know, the other Absolutely. thing I'm excited about in 2019 is, um, you know, it's very possible we'll see movement on the federal level toward uh, either decriminalization or legalization 
and you know we're trying to support all the groups that are actively campaigning and advocating in our nation's capital to make that change because when that change comes that's going to have uh, a, a cascading a waterfall of effects on our society and I think that could be just so positive um, and then from a, the last part the third thing that I'm excited about is data yeah. data in the cannabis industry I mean there's so much data in the cannabis industry but very few companies are figuring out ways to monetize that data or turn that data that they have into actionable insights. So I'm excited to invest in more data companies and work with the companies in our existing portfolio who are data focused to help them realize their full potential and help the industry do better. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for talking and it was uh, very informative, very helpful. Thank you. My pleasure. Happy to be part of it. That's all for today's podcast. Podcast is now a certified word trademark on the blockchain through Cognate Incorporated CM certification. InvestorIdeas.com podcasts are also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, and TuneIn. If you'd like to be a guest or sponsor of this podcast, please contact InvestorIdeas.com. Investor Ideas reminds all listeners to read our disclaimers and disclosures on the InvestorIdeas.com website. And this podcast is not an endorsement to buy products or services or securities. Investors are reminded that all investments involve risk and possible loss of investment. Investor Ideas does not condone the use of cannabis except where permissible by law. Our site does not possess, distribute, or sell cannabis products. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.